I got dumped. It's one heck of a podcast show. I got dumped, so let's introduce our hosts, Ashley, Corby, and Hannah Slade are gonna talk to you today all about how I got dumped. Welcome to I Got Dumped, a Christian-centered podcast about relationships and breakups, We're your imperfect hosts. Hey, I'm Hannah Slay. My mom and brother died in a car accident when I was 16. I spent my life chasing fame and status as a comedian and actress until I realized the world will never fulfill me and gave my life to God seven years ago. And I'm Ashley Corby, a stand-up comedian based out of Nashville, Tennessee. I spent most of my life lost in a web of addiction and codependency. I've overcome rape, trauma, and domestic violence and have made it my mission to share with the world how the Lord delivered me and helped me overcome the pain and instability that was my life. We We are are Christians Christians with Grit. Grit. This is our testimony. This is our advice. All right. Hey, guys. So today for our episode, I'm going to share a story about how I uh, got dumped and it led me to one of the greatest things in my life, which is stand-up comedy. And I think it's a really fun story about how rejection just uh, redirected my life. So let's get into it. It is 2010. I am a serial dater, but not by my choice. I want commitment, or at least I think I do, but nobody really wants to commit to me. And honestly, some of the men I'm dating, no one should ever commit to them either. I'm losing this battle of wanting love and chasing it so hard that I'm accepting dates from men I would never accepted dates from if I didn't have my friends encouraging me to give some weirdos a chance. And then I think I have finally found myself a normal guy. He pursued me for years prior when I first started working at Hooters and now after leaving an abusive relationship and returning to my orange shorts, our paths are crossing again. This time around, I find myself more attracted to him than I had been in the past. He is older than me, but he likes to party and go out every night. He sells cars and is a homeowner. In my eyes, he is a real man, unlike the freeloaders and drug dealers I'm used to dating. We spend time together often, and I even bring him lunch some days when he's at work. But then I begin to see pictures of him online with another girl. Another girl with the same name as me. I even see pictures of him kissing her. My heart breaks. How could he do this? We have a history. Who is she? She doesn't know him like I do. She doesn't have the same friends as us. She doesn't bring him lunch to his job. How dare he? So I confront him. And I don't want to be too confrontational. Maybe he's just trying to get rid of her. He tells me he's not. I'm stunned. There are too many times in my life when I not only get my heart broken, but I get so stunned I'm at a loss for words. What can I say? After all, she is prettier than me. I have to move on, but how? I'm beginning to lose faith that men are a caring and compassionate species. In fact, I start documenting my trials and tribulations in datings. In dating. In datings. In the datings. (laughs) Sound like an old lady. I decide I will write a book about my failed attempts, and I title it, I Should Have Ran. Surely men regret breaking up with authors, especially if she becomes a New York Times bestseller. 
I write this story about how I went out with a man who worked at my friend's gym when I was 20 years old. I write about how I had no interest, but my friend won't stop hounding me about him. And he has me meet him at his house before taking me to his high school reunion. When I arrive at his house, he and a group of other guys are passing around cigars. And he explains to me the cigars are laced with opium. And he is a part of an opium trafficking ring in West Nashville. I should have ran them, but I didn't. I stayed for the date. <laughs> Girls gotta eat. <laughs> and awkwardly go to somebody's high school reunion when I didn't go to that school. Like, what a terrible idea for a first date. <laughs> Get her high on opium, too, first. The whole time she's scratching and dry heaving. Like, what is your right? Yeah, I'm part of an opium trafficking ring. Okay, so do you want to go to, like, Old Hickory or... I love your impression of me. Yeah. I love doing an impression of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like I can just imagine like, like in your head the wheels are turning, but you're like, well, I'm already here. I got I, this dress. <laughs> I curled my hair. Yeah, I curled my hair. That honestly, sometimes that is enough of an excuse to be like, I'm committed at this point. Oh yeah. I spent an hour curling my hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I asked you if I could come over at 1230 today instead of 12. I was like, I'm going to curl my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so later throughout the date, someone, this, so, this guy was such a mess. So, and I'm not, I'm talking about a guy, you know, if from the chapter in my book, not the car salesman. So later throughout the date, someone breaks out some, <laughs> some aluminum foil. This is the opium guy. Yeah, this is the opium guy. And eventually I agree to smoke some of his opium with him and his friends. And I get so sick to my stomach right away. I've made a terrible choice. <laughs> Once again, I want to go home and go to bed. But he insists on introducing me to some girls from his high school. Oh, man. He even drags me to an after party where I spend the whole time dry heaving in the host bathroom. As the other party goers <laughs> just look at me with disgust. <laughs> And the next day, I could hardly move out of my bed. And then I'm told later it was black tar heroin that I was freebasing with You him. did heroin? Yeah. <laughs> that's what you that. That's heroin? what I was told afterwards. Afterwards, I was told that was not opium. That was black tar heroin. Why did he tell you it was opium? I don't know. I don't know. But I was sick as a dog. I think he didn't want to admit. I think he, like, wanted to be kind of elusive with it. You know? I don't, I don't know. I mean, who... I should not have been out with this guy. And it made you sick the whole time? Like, you oh, didn't yeah. have any kind of enjoyable high? Because I thought heroin, like, especially the first time, just knocks you out and makes you sleep. Well, I think that's when you shoot it. Okay. But I freebased it. So, like, what it was doing was it was just making me want to crave another hit. Uh-huh. Like, for a split second, I'd be like, whoa. And then I would just start, like, itching and, like, dry heaving. And, like, oh I gosh. looked terrible. And I was like, just give me more. Just make this end. It was, like, an immediate withdrawal. As soon, yeah, it was terrible. I don't know, but that was my experience. Some people have said they haven't had that experience, but it did not go well with Ashley. You Corby. should just be thankful it was a bad experience because you could have just got hooked on heroin that night. Yeah, I would never do heroin again. I mean, I would. I mean, as a Christian woman, I would never do heroin again. But well, um, you didn't even know you were doing it. At I the didn't time. even know. No, I was like, this is because I had smoked opium before in college. Right, I was we like, all this have. Is, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know, opium. I just assumed that everyone. I don't even know what opium is, really. I mean, it's an opiate. Okay, but it, it's like hair. They come from the same plant. Okay, but uh, 
I, I, I was like, this is a lot different than anything I've ever done before, you know? But I didn't think that this guy was giving me heroin. Right. You know? Um, All right. So. We didn't work out. No. No. I was pretty mad when. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty mad when I found out what it was. And I was like, don't you ever call me ever again. Wow. Yeah. It was embarrassing. I mean, like, he was taking me to, like, people's houses in, like, um, Bell Mead, like, West Nashville, like, you know, really fancy people. Uh-huh. And here I was, just this girl from Hermitage, hanging out in the toilet the whole time, like... Oh, my god. You know, it was just so embarrassing. Yeah. So, I write more about my on-again, <clears throat> off-again love affair with a man who has a child with another woman. I write about her calling my phone 20 to 30 times a day for blocked numbers for years, yet I still love him. I write in my book about the time a guy dumps me in a text message so he can reunite with his ex who has just been diagnosed with cervical cancer. I don't think I've told you that That'll story. That'll be another episode. Yeah, we'll have to do that episode. Yeah, that that's a, that's a um, I don't want to say fun and cancer in the same sentence, but um, it's an interesting story. I forget, I figure like all of these stories are unique and engaging, you know, and I read my draft and preparing for this podcast and it just like makes me cringe. Like I was an amateur writer getting way too personal for her first book. So I send this book to a publisher that I had met years prior. It's nothing I haven't seen before. He writes, which surprised me. Um, you know, he wasn't impressed and I guess probably maybe he shouldn't be is probably like this girl needs help. Um, or he's like, what are you doing on Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> I got some cigars. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I, I, didn't ex- I didn't expect him to be like, this book is, you really got something here that the masses can relate to, you know? But so like I, I had a feeling like it was probably going to get rejected, but it, I still, you know, I'm such a dreamer. I was just like, oh, it'd be great if like, you know, I could get a book deal and um, I didn't, so I got rejected again, you know? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, I guess... So you got broken up with. I got broken up with. sort of inspired you to write a book yeah. about your relationships. And then you submit this book and get rejected. So right. it's like a double rejection. Yeah. Okay. Right. So then I'm like, but I, I know somebody has to hear these stories, right? Like, these are jokes. And then it, like, dawns on me. Like, yeah, they're jokes you know? <laughs> my life's a joke <laughs> so i'm like wait a second should i be on stage you know and i but i was so insecure i was just like no there's no way and for years my friends had been telling me like i should get into comedy i'm really great at entertaining them but comedy is different you have to write jokes in comedy and i can't write a joke jokes are hard my friends like who cares you're funny you can do it And then my manager comes up to me and says, I work at a bar that has an open mic every Tuesday. You should come out. You're funnier than those guys. Wow. Yeah. But I need a vacation. So um, I go to L.A. with my friend. My friend uh, flies me and my best friend out to L.A. And I start to read this book, Russell Brand's My Bookie Book. And I never seen any of his stand-up. Like, I wasn't, like, a Russell Brand fan. But I really loved this book. And I can relate to it because he had problems in relationships and a love affair with substances. And I'm like, wait a second. If this guy can do stand-up, why can't I? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I had all my coworkers encouraging me. Um, so, 
I'm in LA and I'm just like jealous the whole time I'm there because it's like, I'm only here for vacation. How cool would it be is if, if I was an entertainer, you know, out here pursuing some wide eyed dream. Like I love to come back one day to LA with talent. I don't know what it would be. I've only acted in theater classes in school, but I want to belong here somehow. So I start really considering pursuing stand up while I'm in LA. And I'm like, if I was in Hollywood, I wouldn't care about a guy anymore. As if the location, <laughs> as yeah, if the location right. would change it. Think about how many lonely, sad people are in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay, so on the flight back to Nashville, I daydream about a career in comedy. You know, I don't know any stand-ups. I've nev- I have no idea what life as a comedian would be, other than what Russell Brand had written in his biography. My manager conveniently bartends in an open mic. That's an interesting coincidence. Maybe I'll just go and check it out, see what it's like live and in person. I haven't seen stand-up in years. And then I think, well, maybe I should start writing something, you know, just in case. I could prepare some material in case they call on me or in case I get the nerve to write about it. But what will I write about? I guess I could write about these guys poking me on Facebook. They seem relatable. Maybe throw in a joke about being a survivor of domestic violence. Terrible idea. They'll love me. Someone there might see me and sign me. So I get on my computer and I start writing jokes. So I found the first joke that I'd ever written. Okay. And it's nothing that I would ever say now. And it's not good. But I thought I would share it. Should I share it? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I was doing this bit. We use the term <laughs> bit. That's what they call it in the business. <laughs> we use this term very loosely. But I was talking about like Facebook and how all these guys were po- poking me on Facebook. All right. So here's the joke. Either way, I really hate people touching me. I mean, what are you assaulting me now? But you're doing it on the internet. So that makes it okay. You do realize we just met and already you're putting your hands all over me, right? I mean, this is not a good start for us. I usually like to wait about three months into the relationship before I let you start exhibiting any signs of what could be potential violence. (laughs) I had to tell my boss the other day to quit trying to wrestle me because I was getting the wrong idea. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, God. That's how I entered Nashville Comedy. Yeah. That was it. Joke, cry for help. You know, (laughs) it's a fine line. It's a fine line. It is a fine line. Yeah, I get. I would never say. But you know what? Again. I have the same struggle with stand up, and that's ultimately why I don't do it anymore. Because I always kind of resented that it had to be funny all the time. I was like, you know, <laughs> you said, you know, I, I, I just, it's annoying. I'm like, it's just always got to be a joke. So, and I respect people that are true comedians and just love making jokes and they just want to make jokes and it's about because that is what it's about. But I've had to accept within myself, I don't like that. I don't like, I like a mixture of humor and pathos. What is pathos? What does that mean? Is that philosophy? No, it's like a serious content. Okay. It's, um, you know, earnestness. Like the podcast. Exactly like the podcast. That's why I like this kind of um, content because it seems more reflective of who I actually am as a person because I'm actually a really serious person. I think I'm funny. You are funny. And I'm witty, but I've never been a person. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Don't forget pretty. I'm a great cook. Um, you are a good cook. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, better than me. But but yeah, I always hated that about stand-up. I always hated that you're like, oh. 
And so I would always want to tackle these serious issues, like how you would want to tackle like domestic violence or share a part of your story. And I would want to like share about my mom and brother dying, or I'd want to share about, you know, mental illness or addiction or a bad relationship. And I just, you know, maybe it was more like I didn't know how to do it in the right way. Like clearly I'm not that good of a comedian. I'm not doing it anymore. But I, I just always felt like, ugh. I would rather just be serious for a while. And then if something funny comes up, that's great. I think you were a really good comedian. I was all right, but I never talked about the stuff I wanted to talk about. People are always like, well, tell your story. I'm like, my story is tragic. There's no way to go on stage and say, my mom and brother died in a car accident. No matter how you follow that up, people are like, holy sheesh. Yeah. Whole, like, you know, and yeah. but then I always felt like this is so important to my perspective because otherwise I do just look like a regular, I don't know, all American kind of girl. All Canadian. Let's get it right. All Canadian. But like, you know what I'm saying? So I always felt yeah. like I could never fully express myself and people wouldn't understand why is she so dramatic? Why? Like, why is she so like edgy? And I don't know. I just felt like I could never really communicate what I wanted that's to say. That's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, and that's you. that's why I always like writing because I can be really serious. But then like the things I would write or the, even the podcast I did before this, it was this very serious in tone and so it wouldn't really max, match my brand on stage. So, I don't know, that was just I just think stand up is not the right medium for my creative voice. Right. Yeah. I think stand up is um like when you talk about everyday stuff or your life, like the small meaningless things in your life and can make it funny. Like yeah. That's, you know, that's usually pretty good. But when you get pretty deep and heavy like that, I mean, it is hard to keep it light. And audiences don't deserve that. If they pay for a comedy ticket, they want to go and be entertained. And I respect that. And I totally respect stand-up comedians. And I love great stand-up comedians. Um, but that I had to accept that wasn't me. That's right. not right for me. Okay. I'm not good at that. I don't really want to do that. I've never heard you say it from this point of view. Yeah, I've always felt like that. I always felt annoyed that it had to be funny or that it had to be like relatable. Right. Yeah. They, it's kind of like they have one over on you, kind of. And I would, my whole stand up career or whatever, tenure, um, I would always intermittently try to work on my dead mom jokes. And then, you know, in certain audiences, they'd be really well received. A lot of the comics usually would, you know, give me props for trying to work those jokes out. But ultimately, it's just like either the two things. Probably I wasn't good enough to pull it off for sure. But the other thing is, is like it's depressing. People don't want to hear about that, you know. And so and they shouldn't have to when they go to have a good time, you know. Yeah, that was always my struggle with stand up. So if, if you're like, you know, you're trying to write about all this series because it's also the stuff that's on your mind. That's well, for, the struggle. Well, for me at this time, they're like, I hadn't really healed from it. So it's like I was just going out there and bleeding all over people right. when I was on stage. Right. Yeah. Like now that it's like I'm past it, I'm like, I don't even want to talk about this. Let's yeah. just talk about something else. Anything else. And that was so prominent during this time, like 2010, because that's when like Louis C.K. was like at his max capacity. He was like the father of stand up. And he was very like a confessional stand up comedian who would really spill his guts on stage. Obviously a very incredible stand up comedian. Super funny. But I think what people took from him was like, oh, you can just 
you can talk about all your, your gross stuff on stage and make it funny, right? So people started to talk about, you know, all of this kind of ugly, traumatic, difficult stuff. But most of them were just open mic comedians that didn't know how to do it at all, like including right. myself. So you're just literally spilling your guts on stage and the audience feels bad for you. Mm-hmm. And it changes the tone of the room and it gets weird. And I think you can, I mean, the most talented comedians can do both, but a lot of people don't really understand you're not good enough to do that right now. Yeah, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I I, I guess a rape joke could be funny if it was, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I know I've laughed at some. I can't, you know, but it's got to be really, really, really well written. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, really well written. Yeah. And I, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. Right now. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't really hear anybody lately that's doing the rape jokes. And I'm like, wow, man, that was... Whew. That was smart. Yeah. That was that was entertaining. That was good. Right. You know, I'm just like, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm on the same I'm on the same page with you. Like it used to back in the eighties, it used to just be about the jokes. <laughs> and now it's about all these other agendas. And about people telling their story and their brand and <laughs> meanwhile you're like, and I'm resentful of stand up because I can't tell my story. I hate stand up because it says you have to be funny. And I'm like, that's super annoying, dude. I don't who is funny all the time. No human beings are just funny all the time. But I get if you're on stage with a microphone, your job is to be funny. I I get that. Yeah. But that's why I don't do stand up anymore. Because I'm like, right. I don't want to do that. That's annoying. Yeah, I I can respect and appreciate your opinion. Okay, because I've never I've never looked at it that way. But like you're right, it is a lot of pressure to just constantly be funny, and then it's like when there's that silence, it's like you can get away with the silence for a little long for a little bit, but ultimately they're just waiting to laugh. Yeah, like they don't want to listen to what you have to say. They're just waiting for you to make them laugh. Well, that's also why there's so many hack comedians. Like I will never forget one time I was. Oh, I worked for this uh, company, this comedy company, and uh, I went out for lunch with them when I was up in Michigan, and we were just talking about different headliners that I had worked with that, you know, they paired us together, and I didn't say it because I would never speak of a comedian like that to a booker, but the booker was like, that guy works all the time, and he is so hack, and I, I couldn't believe they called him hack, and they were like, yeah, he's terrible, he's hack, he's like, but hack works, and hack does work. And that's the problem with it just being about the jokes is most audience, not most audiences, a lot of audiences around the country, especially when you work on the road, they don't really know what is true creativity. They don't really know what's good. And so you'll just, there's a proliferation of not very good comedians out there and God bless them. They're making a living. They're probably paying for their family. They're paying for the bills. I'm not trying to cut them down, but they have these acts and you're just like, this is so glib. This is so empty. This is so regurgitated. This is hackneyed. We've heard this before, but the, the, but they crush hack works. And so, yeah. you know, that also would play into it. Cause I'm trying to talk about real things. I'm trying to share my personal story that I know is unique, that my perspective that I'm trying to figure out that I know no one has, but I can't quite articulate it. Cause I'm not good enough in this medium to do it. And I get these guys up here like, you know, the difference between men and women or getting a prostate exam or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, Ugh. but he's got what a joke every 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. And he crushes reliable. and the audience is like, we get this. This is non-threatening. I can yeah. drink my beer, get wasted on a Friday night, go home. Yeah. So sorry. I guess I've been holding a lot of that in. I'm glad that I got dumped and was able to be therapeutic for you today. <laughs> yeah, the problem with couch. comedy is it's always supposed to be funny. And I'm like, I don't think that's the way it should be. <laughs> I don't know. 
and maybe I'm just maybe it's just hitting me today, but but I mean, my husband, for example, he's a comedian. He definitely thinks it should just be funny, you know. And I respect that. Like he 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 would always say your jokes are too wordy, or you know you're you're getting too serious. Just be fun, you know. You're a fun girl. Why don't you just be fun? And I'm like, I'm not a fun girl. You are a fun girl. I am a fun girl, but I'm also other things. You know, right, yeah. And so people, and then you know, they talk about my brand. It's like you're wholesome and edgy. I'm like, look, get off me. Like, I don't want to be this thing. Like, I hate brands. Okay, I can see now how you left. Yeah, I just, I just hate trying to figure out what the industry is going to try to pair me. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm the car accident girl. <laughs> I don't know how else to pair myself. Car accident girl. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It was just, it was just annoying. I'm like, just. I'm just sick of trying to figure out who I am. So many people are like, oh, like, this is my brand. This is my haircut. This is my brand. I'm like, all right. Like, I'm not going to do anything crazy with my look. I look like a normal girl. Yeah, you do look pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to comedy. It's more than just, it's, it is it is such a hustle. There's more to it than just getting on stage. You actually have to write your own jokes that hopefully nobody has ever said before. Be true to yourself. Discover who you are. Then learn how to sell that to people. Well, it's also like, you know, having lived in two countries in two different entertainment industries, Canada and the U.S., I mean, being having a clear brand is some people can develop it, but some people are just kind of born with it and you just have it, you know, and that's a blessing. And so if you have a clear brand and then you're good, I mean, that's very helpful. But there's so many people that are very talented and are good at what they do, but they just, you know, they just... They're just kind of like whatever. And so the industry doesn't pick them up. And then, and it's kind of heartbreaking. We had a friend who died earlier this year and he was a stand up in New York and very talented. And it just, you know, he was just kind of like a regular dude, but very good. But it's just like, didn't really get much traction in the industry because he's just like, just like whatever. There's so many people that are like that. Like, you mean they don't have an appeal? Well, like they don't. They're not marketable. The, the industry doesn't think they have an appeal. I mean, right. so much of it is just being chosen. Like yeah. so much of it is just being like, yes, come on in. We're going to manage you. We're going to connect the dots for you. You know, and I've seen that how that works. Like you literally like you're chosen. You're chosen and then you're brought to Los Angeles and you start going to interviews and you start going to festivals. You get a little spot. I mean, these people that are getting these things, I'm not saying they're not talented, but I am saying there's plenty of talented people that just aren't chosen. And I don't know why. They're just not. Maybe yeah, there's sad. already three other people that are just like them. Right. Yeah. You know? So, I guess this episode is about me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happened on another episode. Yeah, it's it happened. Took a little <laughs> it does <laughs> happen. Hannah tirade. Okay, so I guess I'll pick back up with the story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so I'd written this joke and or this bit. I'd written several jokes. But now I need somebody to go with me, and I can't go by myself. I know. I'll invite my friend Bernie, my last dump's roommate. He's a fun guy. He's encouraging. And if I do well, he will tell a certain used car salesman we both know who will then regret dumping me. He will have no choice but to fall madly in love with me, for I will be a star. After an open mic. <laughs> Been there. Yeah, right? Okay, so I'm noticing this trend within, I'm noticing a trend within myself, like after some painful dumps, I use them to drive me. I don't know how healthy this is, but then again, if it wasn't for heartbreak, we wouldn't have this podcast. So it's a Tuesday night and I pull up to 
Bernie and my dump's house. And Bernie gets in the car. And he's like, what up, AB? Comedy night. You ready? <laughs> That's so how he talks. Cool. I, I'm really impressed with myself. I was able to nail it. And I truly adore Bernie. He is more than just some guy I dated's roommate in my eyes. He is a friend. Someone who has this incredible way of uplifting me and convincing me that I'm the most important woman in a room, even when I feel painfully invisible. I hand him a script of jokes I have written to read. He reads them and laughs as I drive us to South Nashville. This is really good stuff. I'm proud of you. You're going to kill it. Oh, I don't know, Bernie. I don't think I'll have the nerve to actually go on stage. I, I kind of just want to check it out. We'll see how it goes. I tell him. When we arrive at the bar, I don't know anyone. I order several tequila sunrises. I'm a nervous wreck. There's no way I can do this. I get up to use the bathroom. And then when I get back to the table, Bernie says to me, Hey, I signed you up while you were in the bathroom. Go kill him, A.B. Why does he call you A.B.? Ashley Brooke. Oh, yeah, Brooke. <laughs> we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. I guess I'm doing this. He sees the look of fear across my face. I can take your name off the list if you want. I lost it. I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. I'd regret it. So I go on stage with these jokes about these guys on the internet and how confused I am when it comes to men and people laugh at me and it feels incredible. The tequila also feels incredible. You killed it. Bernie says to me when I get back to my seat, I have a fan. I'm not even thinking of my last dump anymore. I'm thinking how I have to do it again and again and how one day there will be nothing but this. So in November of 2019 my dear friend bernie passed away while he was cheering on myself and so many other people he was losing a battle himself i had fallen out of touch with him over the years but i always attribute the first time that i got on stage to him he was the first one to read my jokes and tell me they were good he was the one who signed me up at my first open mic he saw me more than just a top heavy blonde chick he saw me as a comic i think that's a beautiful gift he had the ability to see in others what they couldn't see in themselves and encourage them to pursue their dreams despite the loneliness and fear they may have felt. I never reconciled my relationship with the car salesman. In fact, I stopped wanting to reconcile it. It turns out I needed a friend and an outlet more than I needed a boyfriend. And then once again, another surreal experience happened as I was preparing for this episode. About a week after I wrote the essay for this, uh, said used car salesman called me. We haven't seen each other since 2012 or 2013, and turns out he loves the podcast and recognizes the growth in this reformed train wreck. Thank you for listening. Thank you for encouraging me. And most of all, thank you for dumping me. Aww. Hey, that, that's maybe one of your first, like, happy ending stories. Oh, my God. That's so sad. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Because yeah. it's sort of like, okay, you went through all this rejection, and then you and then the, that ushered in this, you know, potentially lifelong relationship that you're having with stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it was fun to write this and to kind of look at it as a whole, like what all was going on with me in 2010. Mm-hmm. And a lot was going on, you know, and then uh, I really liked this guy. I was really crazy about him and I really wanted, he had stability and I really wanted that. And when it didn't work out, I think it was a huge realization to me that if I wanted something in life, like uh, a path, I had to create it myself. I had to make it happen. And that kind of catapulted me into, well, maybe I'll write. I'll really become a writer now, you know, and then when the book didn't, you know, got denied and rejected it was just like 
well, that's not going to stop me. There's, there's another outlet then. I'm just looking in the wrong outlet. And then I found stand-up, and it was just like a life-altering experience for me. So what has stand-up been for you then? Was there like a real transition for you from that time into your life into when you started doing stand-up and then where you're now? Well, uh, I don't know if I understand. I guess, I guess what I want to hear is sort of, did this, did finding a a, a creative outlet, which is what standup was, is for you. Yeah. Did that change? Yeah. Maybe not overnight. No, it did. It did change me because I went from trying to please all my friends all the time and just trying to find a guy to win a guy over. It took me from that mentality to, I can be my own person and I can you know, create the life that I want for myself. And then in so doing that, then doors of opportunity for relationships will open, have opened, have opened for me from that, that were way healthier than what I had going on before. Mm -hmm. Because before it was just like, I was just going from drug dealer to drug dealer, you know, and unhealthy relationships. And, um, I became less consumed with that and more consumed with, writing and speaking uh, you know about my life and um I started to get confidence Mm -hmm. would be the biggest thing I mean I didn't realize how insecure that I was you know um until a couple years into comedy I was like wait a second I'm starting to get a little bit more brave you know I'm I'm actually doing something with my life that I'm proud of Mm -hmm. and I'm not bad at it and it seems to be working pretty well for me uh, in some kind of tiny, tiny aspect, but yeah, it was a real game changer for the way that I saw myself and the way I related to other people. Yeah. Certainly probably being reflective too, having to sit down for the first, I guess you were journaling before, but now knowing you're going to share your thoughts or your jokes on stage makes you look and experience life. I think a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, having a project to throw myself into yeah. and, like, feeling like I'm contributing to something mm-hmm. made me feel better, too. I think that's a big thing. I see that, you know, my parents are retired, and it's like they don't do anything, really. They don't have projects. And right. I think you got to always be working on something because yeah. if not, then whatever you're committed to, whether it's your marriage or your um, job, that's all you got and that's everything. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's a good place to be. I think you need something private for yourself, your own projects, anything. So you're not so consumed. I've learned, I I like doing sort of like three or four month projects. So I'll challenge myself to do something for three or four months and try to stick to that regimen for that amount of time, because sometimes saying, you know, like a new year's resolution, trying to commit to something for 12 months is a big ask because you really don't know what's about to happen in your life over a course of a year. But if you give yourself mini projects, um, I find that's a lot more, um, rewarding and then also doable and then satisfying. I find I get a lot of confidence in discipline in knowing, Mm -hmm. okay, these are the things I wanted to do today. I did them. I stuck to what I said I was going to do. And you feel, it builds your confidence just knowing that you did this thing you you said you were going to do. You feel accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you get broken up with a guy, but you go do an open mic, you're like, well, I still went out. I still went out, did this thing, Mm -hmm. tried my best, tried out these new jokes. I'm moving on. Oh yeah. I went home. This is just wallowing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why the pandemic has been hard on so many people. Because it's been very demotivating. You can't do anything. There's not a lot of stuff to do. People get stuck on the internet or you're just stuck in the house. 
Right. And then time goes on and then you're like, what's the point? It's easier to just drink. You feel a little self-indulgent because you feel sorry for yourself that you're going through a pandemic. You see a lot of mental illness and problems happen. Yeah. And then I heard about it. Yeah. For me, it was a different end of the spectrum during the pandemic. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all this time on my hands and everybody knows that I better start writing and I better start, Mm -hmm. I better start coming out here guns blazing after this thing is over. I should have so much. And I mean, I saw that. I saw a lot of other comedians that were on social media that were like, you should have a pilot written during this time. Yeah. You should, you should have a new, you know, hot 15 minutes. You should have this, this, this. And it was like, oh, I felt so much pressure. Yeah. You know, and then I would even think like, the people that follow my pages, I'm like, well, they're probably, they're probably waiting for me to come out with something, you know? And it's like, no, probably not. Pro- they're probably trying to figure it out themselves, what they're doing with their own lives, you know? So it's interesting the different, um, the different ways that that pandemic hit people. Some people felt like me, very super pressured. And then some people I think were like, this is my time to tap out and I'm just going to go ahead and cash in on that. And probably people alternated between those two things. I know I did. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah. I, early pandemic, I was b- very productive, but I definitely lost be- steam. And now I'll be leaving the pandemic with a child. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's, it's just different things go down when you're stuck in the house. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? I feel like it is a weird thing to go through. Yeah, it was a really weird thing to go through. I didn't drink a lot, but there was definitely a point where I was drinking more than I probably ever had me too i mean not ever had but i i was drinking a lot more than i had in a long time yeah i was like oh i would never because my husband doesn't drink so i would never drink by myself at our house ever we didn't ever but then I, early in the pandemic i would be like well, i'll just have a glass of wine with dinner yeah and sometimes you'd be like a glass and a half or two glasses and then i'm like what am i doing getting like, pregnant that's what you're doing <laughs> well that was later on <laughs> That was the second half of the pandemic. But it's just things like that because you're just like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. But they are predicting like a big comedy boom when everything opens up, like a big boom in general. Okay. But then they're also predicting like economic collapse. So it's hard to know what exactly is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows anything. No. But I can see how the people have who have been locked up, especially people that have been good quarantiners unlike us. Uh, you know, who have been literally in their house and not gone out for a year, uh, will want to go out and do stuff. Yeah. And spend their money, essentially. So, I hope so. Yeah. Let's get that economy moving. As a waitress, I encourage you to go out to eat and spend yeah. your money and tip well. Yeah. Well, I think that'll be good for everybody. If people go out, spend their money, live mm-hmm. a little. Yeah. 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 TikTok it had its real boom during yeah, it did. Uh, pandemic. A lot of TikTok stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. All okay. right. Well, that was fun. That was fun. Guys, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram, I Got Dumped. Uh, our website, igotdumpodcast.com. We got some blogs up there that you can read. We are partially scripted, partially conversational, if you can't tell. Um, also, check out our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. I got dumped. It's one heck of a podcast show. I got dumped. So let's introduce our hosts, Ashley, Corby, and Hannah Slade are going to talk to you today all about how 
I got dumb.